Welcome to Holding Fast. Great to have you in the podcast today. How is your anchor holding? I'm meditating on the Word of God this morning and deriving a lot of blessing from it. And it's enjoyable for me to be able to share with you those things that God's laid on my heart and blessed me with. Actually, the uh, podcast today is the product of a uh, of a lot of meditation and and uh, just kind of chewing on the scriptures when I was doing my preparation for the Easter time, the the Resurrection Day, our celebration of our Lord's um, uh, rising from the grave, and so uh, it was part of that because what we also did on Resurrection Sunday this year was in the evening service at our church we we uh, commemorated the Lord's table. Uh, the Lord's Supper, it's known by different things, communion and so on. But uh, we celebrated that on the uh, Lord's Day evening of Resurrection Day. And it was a great blessing as we meditated on that. Uh, and it really brought out, as I discussed it with people, one of the clearest differences that I've experienced since I've been a pastor in New England for so long uh, is something that's really stood out even more so as time has gone by. And that is the the vast difference that there is uh, between a Roman Catholic and Protestant position on our belief on the Lord's Supper. This is kind of uh, uh, something that is good for all Bible-believing Christians to, to grasp and to understand. And so we're going to take this, uh, well, I'm. this is being released on Thursday. It's going to be a Theology Thursday podcast for us to meditate on something that I believe does have wonderful repercussions for those of us who have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and are walking in a discipleship uh, relationship with Him. So one of the clearest differences, if we look at our scriptures between uh, Romanists and Protestants, is our belief regarding the Lord's Supper. Uh, as some of you who may have been raised in Romanism, and maybe you're here in New England, or maybe you're in another part of the country, um, in Romanism, Jesus is present during uh, the Mass, but this time he is present differently than he was 2,000 years ago. In other words, if you looked at the Catechism or the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church, uh, they say specifically there that Jesus is re-sacrificed, quote-unquote, in an unbloody manner. In other words, that's the thing that you notice when you walk into a Romanist church is that they have a crucifix there with a suffering Savior that is still hanging there, grimacing in pain and suffering. Um, this re-sacrifice is necessary according to the Roman Catholic Church because uh, you must continually be re-forgiven for sin. Uh, if you attempt to appease God and work your way towards meriting heaven, there has to be this constant re-sacrifice of the Savior. Jesus has to be killed over and over again because those who come to the church understand that they keep sinning over and over again. So there is this repetitive nature of the re-crucifixion and re-sacrifice of Christ. Now, in contrast to that, in the Protestant world, we obviously believe differently. 
Uh, we don't need Jesus to be re-sacrificed, and that's one of the great points of the book of Hebrews, because Hebrews asserts very specifically that Christ's sacrifice was far superior to any animal sacrifice that could ever be offered. It was, in fact, so superior that his death on the cross some 2,000 years ago now was completely sufficient to wipe away all of our sins, past, present, and future. I need to hear an amen on that from every one of you that are listening. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian believers in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and he said, And such were some of you. What is he talking about? He just got done in verse 10 talking about the gross immorality and the sinfulness and the degeneracy of those Corinthian believers. And he goes on to say, But you were washed. You were sanctified. These are all past tense things. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Uh, conversion and washing and sanctification and justification are something, something that began at a historical point in your conversion. And so that's important to remember. Uh, the writer of Hebrews put it in a little bit different way. He said... Uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, but day after day, this is in Hebrews chapter 10, every priest in the Old Testament was standing and performing his religious duties. And then again and again, he was offering the same sacrifices, and he says, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, basically, Paul says, he awaits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So our Lord, almost 2,000 years ago, he offered the absolute, superior, perfect, God-appeasing sacrifice for sin. Hebrews 7.27 says, He has no need like those Old Testament high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. And the moment that our Lord died, that was it. He never had to die again because he perfectly satisfied our Father's divine wrath against sinners. And he took our punishment on himself. He took your punishment today. Do you know that? Do you realize that? Do you understand that your salvation has been fully uh, uh, provided for and paid for? The atonement is complete. Through one sacrifice, he makes perfect forever those that are being made holy. Therefore, folks, when we take the Lord's Supper, we're declaring a truth. At least in our church, when you're here, I take pains often to make sure that other people understand this. We're declaring a truth, and that truth is Jesus isn't here. He is not present physically. He is not at the table eating with us. In fact, he promised that that would be so. You remember at the Last Supper in Luke chapter 22? And verse 16, Jesus literally told his disciples while they sat there that they, he would not eat again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And so he instituted the Lord's Supper. 
Jesus just told his disciples that that will be the last time that he would be present physically during communion. He's not going to partake of that meal again. So when it comes to the Lord's Supper, Jesus is not present in any way physically speaking. Uh, we are told in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. His work on the cross was finished. It's done. It's completed. It doesn't have to be repeated. He doesn't have to come back. He doesn't have to fix anything. He doesn't have to add to the finished work that he completed on Calvary. And I don't want to diminish or, or play down the fact that in Matthew 28, 20, Jesus said, if we'll go out and make disciples, that lo, he will be with us always. He, we, we understand, of course, that he's with us until the end of the age. Of course, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ is with us. Um, it, it being God, being completely deity, uh, we can understand his presence and take comfort in the fact that Jesus is always with us. But it really takes an understanding of a theological term called the hypostatic union to be able to fully appreciate this thought. Today and forever, Jesus continues to have two natures. He'll always have a physical body that will be in one place at one time. But his divine nature is not bound to his physical presence. In other words, he is omnipresent, yet at the very time his body can only be seen, very same time his body can only be seen in one place. There'll never be two Jesuses walking around at the same time. His body will never be in two places at the same time. It can't turn from bread into his body. Uh, he, it can't be a wafer in thousands of mouths at the same time because his nature forbids this. So the disciples understood this probably even better than we did, and they took comfort in the words that he'd always be with them, but they wanted to be with him in heaven just like we all do. They ate with him there. They fellowshiped with him there. We've never had that privilege, but one day we look forward to his coming so that we might participate with him in that. And that's why the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 1, that's why he talks about dying being gain. Uh, that's what he's talking about. He's looking forward to seeing him face to face in heaven. So today, while we meditate on that, uh, as a Bible-believing Protestant understanding of communion, we know it doesn't save us, but it is an anticipation of that time where we'll be with the Lord. It's an opportunity to confess our sin to God, uh, to confess to one another, and to have a purification work in our own heart. It's, it's an opportunity to look forward every time we partake of the Lord's table, to long for heaven when we take the Lord's Supper, examining our walk with the Lord and being prepared. I can't wait to be with Him. Can you? Every Lord's Supper, uh, we look forward to that and are excited about what God's going to do. Do you long for that day today? Well, I think it's good for us to meditate on that and uh, look forward to the opportunity when we're no longer confined by this flesh, but looking forward to being with our Lord. God bless you today. Walk in the reality of the truth of His Word and spend time meditating on and seeking the face of God through the Scriptures. God bless.